Hi. Welcome to our slash stories about Kevin. Kevin tells on himself. Story by Smile Hiding Pain 98. Obligatory on mobile warning and using fake names. Also, I wasn't there when the story actually happened. But a friend of mine was. Now for the context. We all work for the bullseye mart in this story. Everyone in this story does. Of all of us, Kevin and I have worked there the longest, six years. Him at other stores and me at this one, Tom has worked for about three or four, and Molly has been there about a year and a half now. Now Kevin is a jerk. No way around it. He's this middle-aged man who does as little as possible but passive-aggressively complains as much as he can. Not to mention he's a very sexist man. Any woman under the age of 25 has received some backhand compliment or insult or been mansplained by him. A couple of managers even got it. He once mansplained the job I've been doing for two years to me like he was the one who originated the job. Needless to say, I was happy to hear this story. This story takes place in the Oprah Room. For those unfamiliar with that term, the Oprah Room is the large room dedicated to storing orders for in-store and drive-up orders. Wondering why it's taking so long for the drive-up person to grab your order? It's because they have to search the hundreds of sometimes thousands of orders in this room to get it ready for you. The Oprah Room is also where the pickers go after, well, picking your order. Once they've searched the entire store for your items, they place them in the Oprah Room. The Oprah Room is also where Kevin the designated stock boy of the area keeps all the dollar spot merchandise he can't push out yet. I'm not sure how it is at other stores, but my bullseye mart has a large, spacious back room large enough to fit multiple shelves, big bulky boxes, various types of unboxed products, two grown men, two three-tier carts, and still have room for my self-esteem issues to boot. There are two entrances to the Oprah room. The main one at the front sees 98% of the foot traffic and a small back gray door clearly labeled employees only and is often used for employees to sneak away to bathroom breaks or lunches but also qualifies as a fire exit, given its proximity to the actual fire exit. On this day, Molly was prepping a drive-up order as Tom, a picker, went for a quick bathroom break. Kevin then walks in, pushing a three-tier cart full of merchandise he can't push out yet. Kevin walks to his large back room, parks his cart in right in front of the gray door, despite the size of the room and how easily he could fit it in there, and proceeds to start shelving merchandise. Tom walks in not too long after and, unprepared smacks right into Kevin's cart. Kevin kinda gives Tom a look and says that's a bit of a safety hazard there, huh Tom? Tom gives Kevin a look back, what did you mean? This is your cart. Kevin, well yeah, but you can only use that door to exit. Not enter.
Kevin proudly declares yes I did. Annie, Kevin that is very unsafe. Kevin, huh? Annie, that gray door swings out for a reason. Since it's so close to the main fire exit, if employees and customers are stuck here and a fire or other such emergency breaks out, then that's the safest way for them to get to the fire exit. Do you always park your carts like that? Molly, still hiding, has to physically stop herself from shouting out that he, in fact, does park his carts like that. But Kevin, poor dumb Kevin, says well yeah, I do, but that's just because. Annie, Kevin, that's a very hazardous thing to do. Don't you remember the yearly safety training? All exits especially fire exits must remain clear at all times. And most doors do open two ways you know. I'll have to talk to your immediate manager about this. I might even have you retake the safety training again. Molly says she had to shove her hand over her mouth after Annie walked away to keep herself from laughing. Kevin was sulky for the rest of the day and the next day when Annie and I were walking upstairs to go to our respective breaks, Annie saw that Kevin had placed his three-tier in front of the door again. Annie popped her head in and, sweet as pie, says Kevin, don't forget about our conversation yesterday. I didn't see Kevin's face, but Molly said he looked like a baby whose candy was just taken away. When Molly told me the rest of the story, later on, I didn't hold back my laughter. Kevin in a server room. Story by Tabs underscore killer. Some backstory, I am an IT professional and took a job at a small manufacturer in the Midwest with a very small IT staff, about six people to service a manufacturing firm of 300 with over 150 computers under our control, and everything was managed in-house. Relevant to this story is an application to monitor our network and servers. It was a lightweight application that ran on my office computer and monitored all critical server-slash-networking equipment, database, website, phone system, PBX, phone-slash-fax line VoIP converter, domain servers, backup servers, networking switches-slash-router-slash-firewall, VPN, you get the idea, if it was on the network and important, my application made sure it was online. If for any reason it went down, all IT staff were immediately notified via text and Slack message and a monitor in the IT office dedicated to this application showed which systems were down, and guessed on what single point of failure could be the case if multiple systems were down. Ooh, and did I mention the air raid siren? In the event that something went down, it would override my computer's volume control and play an emergency air raid siren to get the attention of anyone in the office. Cast, me, and Kevin the IT team lead. It was a cloudy afternoon sometime in mid-January about 4.30, I was staring out the window of my office considering heading out early for the day and thinking about what I was going to have for dinner when I got home. Suddenly, I am drawn back to reality by an air raid siren blaring in the office, seconds later I receive slack and text notifications indicating that most of our equipment is down. Surely this must be a mistake? A bug that was never caught when developing this program? Right? I look at the included list of disconnected systems and quickly conclude that, if accurate, this is a huge issue. I open a terminal and attempt to ping some of the down equipment with a few IP addresses that I can remember at the moment, sure enough, none of them are responding. I look over to the application and silence the alarm, and see that it is unable to determine which device could be causing this failure. From experience, I know that this means that there are multiple devices down. I quickly glance at the list of devices and conclude that they are all across into our second building. I breathe a slight sigh of relief thinking there is a chance that one of our fiber optic transceivers had just died, or a wire has been cut. I rush across the parking lot, pass numerous people trying to interrupt and tell me that they can't seem to access the database, or that their calls cut out, or the internet is down and so on, 
ignoring them all since I already know that the issue lies ahead into the server room. I enter bracing for what lies ahead, as I enter the room, the first thing I notice is that it is eerily quiet. For anyone unfamiliar with servers and networking equipment, they are loud, numerous fans spinning as if trying to take off like a helicopter, but not today, not now. Something is seriously wrong, I think to myself as I round the corner. The next thing I see is Kevin, standing in front of me, I briefly think to myself, wow, he got here fast, before ever noticing the wild E. Coyote after running off a cliff-like look on his face and the vacuum cleaner in his hand. No. Surely he isn't that dumb, right? For context our servers ran on multiple dedicated 20 AMP circuits each using approximately 15 to 17 AMPS, each with a battery backup UPS, for if we lost power. It takes me a second to notice him unplugging the vacuum, it's plugged into one of our spray-painted red power strips indicating that nothing should be plugged in or unplugged from this strip. Instantly I know exactly what happened. The 10 to 12 AMP vacuum paired with at least 15 AMPS of servers has tripped an overcurrent protection on our UPS. I share a frustrated look, and Kevin sulks out of the room and starts answering questions from the crowds gathering outside, I quickly cast a prayer to any deity willing to listen, and start diagnosing which systems may be fried. I quickly begin bringing systems back online, first network, then the internet, then phone intentionally leaving our servers and DBs for last as I'm sure some of them will not start back up. When I get to the DB server, I am not at all surprised that 14 of our 60 DBs are corrupted from the loss of power with active clients. At this point, I begin reassessing my life choices, wondering why I didn't leave when I had the chance. And begin the hours-long process of recovering from a backup and trying to merge that with any non-corrupted records from the database that would not boot up. By midnight I had them all back up, and everything was humming along as if nothing had happened. I got some nice out, and Kevin learned a valuable lesson on following procedures, right? No, of course, he didn't, but that's another story for another time. Kevin in a server room, part 2, blackout. Story by tabs underscore killer. Cast, me and Kevin, the IT team lead what do you do when the battery in a UPS dies and you want to replace it? Most people would schedule downtime for any devices plugged into it, buy a new battery slash UPS and swap them. Well, Kevin is not like most people, and this story would not exist if that was all he did. As far as servers go, there are some that can go down without people really noticing, and on the other end of the spectrum there are those that can't go down at all but for a scheduled reboot, sometimes with an uptime of years. The server for this story is, the same as the one from last, our database server, hosting about 60 dbs at the time, and falls somewhere in the middle, being critical for company operations, everything from purchase orders, punch-in punch-out times, employee HR records. We're on this server. If it was in a company database, it was on this server. Depending on the type of system you are intending to take down, there were different times you were allowed to do so. Because this server was used almost 24-7, we were only allowed to take it offline on the weekends or late after hours, neither of which Kevin was inclined to do since he was salaried. The obvious solution to this dilemma was to find a way to unplug the server without shutting it down. Seems impossible, right? Well, not to a trained and seasoned Kevin it's not. The Dunning-Kruger effect in short says that people with limited knowledge about a topic believe themselves to be far more knowledgeable than they are. This was most assuredly the case for this Kevin. You see, since you can plug a server into any 120 volts outlet, this must mean that they are all the same, right? Wrong, very very wrong. The US electrical system, in simple terms, has a bunch of 240 volts transformers that create a neutral and two positives, each 120 volts off the neutral. 
Think of it like a line with each end being 120 volts and the midpoint being neutral. When each of the 120 volts phases is in phase, the other is out of phase so combining them in the same wire creates a 240 volts potential, not 120 volts. I'm a software engineer, do any electricians have a better analogy? Anyway, Kevin's solution to not shutting down the server was to cut the insulation on the server's power cable, and solder on another plug, then plug that one in before unplugging from the UPS. This would have worked if the two 120 volts plugs he used were on the same phase, well, they were not and according to the security camera footage the server was less than happy. But I'm getting ahead of myself. There I was, at my desk, finishing up some work on an application, to allow PLCs to talk to our DB, if anyone is interested, when, same as last time, flashing computer screens, text messages, Slack messages, and of course the air raid siren all beckoned my attention informing me of the long and stressful evening ahead. I am pleased to see that the application is informing that only one system is down, but brace myself as this is our database server. I try to open a connection to the DB, and sure enough, my connection is timing out. Over to the server room, I go, yet again. Before I even enter the room I can hear UPS beeping informing me that the power is out and they are running on battery. In short, this is going to get worse before it gets better if not resolved quickly. I pull out my phone to dial our electrician and before I can place the call I enter the server room. I see Kevin with his back toward me, our mobile work cart which has been set up with a soldering iron, a plug with black scorch marks all around it, and a server still smoking from whatever crap just went down in here. As I approach, in shock, wondering how soldering shut down a battery backed up server I am stunned to see that this perfectly functional power cord has been modified into an abomination that I am sure Osho would have some choice words for. In a fit of rage, which in hindsight was totally unprofessional, I shout at Kevin to get out and that I will take care of it before having the mental clarity to get HR slash safety involved. You see, as a manufacturing firm we have robots, mills, drills, forklifts, presses, and more all of which will gladly destroy any part of you that gets between them and where they want to go. Usually, our safety personnel were supervising employees on camera to ensure that no one was breaking procedure in a way that could get them or someone else hurt or worse. Today, they were going to join me in the server room. I make a couple of calls, block off the server room with red danger tape akin to that used by police to mark a crime scene, and pull up the camera footage on my phone and just wait, not wanting to touch anything until directed to do so and informed safe by our safety and electrical teams. It takes them about 5 minutes to arrive and I hardly needed to say a word as the electrician pieced together what must have been going on. And described the danger of such a procedure to safety and HR. Then I queued up the camera footage and showed about the last 30 seconds of the clip before the server was plugged in. Frankly I'm shocked that he didn't short the two leads in the server's power cable during the process of soldering them. Needless to say, no one was happy, a company of 300 employees all contacting their managers about system downtime, managers contacting the GM slash owner about missed deadlines if things don't get back up and running, GM slash managers slash owner yelling at me slash Kevin about what happened, HR slash electrician slash safety yelling at Kevin about how dumb of a move this was. It went on for about 10 minutes before everyone had said their piece. Safety had to do an investigation that took a couple of hours before we were even able to get our server to try to triage it, and, to no one's surprise, the PSU was dead, cooked beyond hope. At that point, I just decided to go and get the backup server and port over a DB backup and go from there. The moral of the story, hire an intern to supervise your Kevin, even if he is the team lead. The outcome, Kevin, finally, lost his server room permissions and permissions to do any physical work on any system without prior written approval from someone else on the team, 
and we seldom gave that permission insisting it was easier to do the work ourselves than to clean up the mess left behind by Kevin. Thank you for tuning in to listen to these stories, and I hope to see you on the next one. Till then, have an amazing day.